0: Welcome to Episode 7 of Shebrews Hebrews, a Jewish fermenting podcast, where we hope to discuss all things homebrewing and fermenting. Today, we're talking about Rosh Hashanah. I'm your host, Evan Harris, and with me today is my co-host, Allison Shea. Chag Sameach.
1: Chag Sameach. Shana Tava. How you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty well. Excited for the ever-approaching holidays.
1: Oh, yeah. I Warned my boss that I would be taking off seven days during the month of September. I gave him a heads up back in June. I should probably remind him again. But been gearing up for it for a while now. So super pumped. Yeah. So you drinking anything interesting tonight?
0: That I am. I am drinking what is called ragula.
1: Ooh, not ragula.
0: No, not ragula. Ragula is what I believe uh, they titled the bottle. So this is from the Jews and Booze group which we hope to have the guy behind it on a future podcast when we discuss distilled spirits in more depth after the holidays <laughs> but so this is a mgp rye that's been finished in a maple syrup barrel
1: uh for clarification mm-hmm. we would describe that as a whiskey
0: yes rye whiskey so mgp is yeah. midwestern grain product they are one of the largest producers of whiskey in the nation so, but a lot of whiskeys you see on the shelf are really just MGP stuff that's been bought and branded. So they bought a barrel of it, finished it in a maple syrup barrel, and then bottled it and sold it in limited amounts and with some of the proceeds going to uh, Jewish charities.
1: Awesome. Pick out any, of, any interesting flavors in that one? Maple syrup so so, sounds really cool.
0: Yeah. So it smells more syrupy to me than taste. You get a little bit of the maple finish, but it's not really sweet the it's a rye a young rye whiskey it's only about 4 years old for a full size barrel which is pretty young but i like it i also love rye whiskey and maple syrup is delicious so
1: very nice i'm living vicariously th- through you this week i can't have alcohol this week huh. for medical preparations we've mentioned before i mean we're jewish we've got t- stomach problems sometimes <laughs> they check it out and you can't eat anything interesting for a while <laughs>
0: You mentioned that to me in what was another thing you couldn't have, because I went on a uh, chocolate factory tour last week.
1: I can actually have chocolate. Apparently, oh. that was on the okay list. So, oh. you know what? I am enjoying a lot of chocolate because I can't eat, you know, vegetables or oh. like most of the foods that I usually most eat. Of your diet?
0: Oh, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. That's frustrating.
1: As a vegetarian, it's definitely pretty frustrating. But Yeah. Just get all your the medical treatment. procedures when you need them, kids. I know it sucks, yeah. but like yeah. your health comes first and you do need to get things checked
0: out. I can uh, struggle. Absolutely. What, that both comes down to what you eat and just in general health is first and yeah. get vaccinated, etc. Yeah. See the doctors get when vaccinated. you need to. Yeah. I don't like needles, but I get blood drawn four times a year because my pancreas doesn't work. Yeah. I have to stab well, myself.
1: <laughs> I think this is more of a long tube.
0: <laughs> yeah, th- yes, it's a little different. It's just another medical procedure that is not so fun. A little no. faster, though. No, very little prep.
1: Yeah. Well, it, oh. I don't know. They're going to knock me out for it, so
0: yeah. I will. <laughs> um, from what I've heard, that's the way to go.
1: I don't think anybody really wants to hear details about it, but like, (laughs) I think think we've talked enough about my colonoscopy. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But anyway, living vicariously through Evan this week, I will be, my stomach and digestive system will, fingers crossed, be back up and running in time for Rosh Hashanah. Very excited for all the yummy foods. Then, got any favorites, Evan?
0: Um, sort of the thing. One of the things about Rosh Hashanah is that it's a lot of sweet foods because we want a sweet New Year, right? Yep. But I have type one diabetes. I don't want sweet. <laughs> I want my blood sugar to be lower. So I've uh, more, more than once wished my fellow Jewish diabetics a less sweet New Year.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but no, so I, lots of stevia. <laughs> <laughs> lots of uh artificial sweeteners, including uh stevia yeah. but i well-made challah is always delicious so i love good challah
1: yeah good challah is good there's there's really nothing like that i mean i guess yeah. i do have a favorite rosh Hashanah recipe that i will give evan for the show notes it's it. oh it's a famous one it is i make this pretty much every year for for Rosh Hashanah, because it's when Italian plums, which are the best for baking, are in season. Mm -hmm. Marion Burroughs' Plum Tort. I make it every year. It is fabulous. There's a story about this recipe. Basically, the New York Times published it every year in September from 1983 until 1989. And... The editors were like, fine, we're not doing it anymore. And there was such an uproar the next year that they went back to posting it. So...
0: (laughs) That is wonderful.
1: Ever since then, there was such an uproar. They went back to posting it. And still every year, the New York Times posts this absolutely fabulous... It's light. It's fluffy. There's a little crispy topping of cinnamon sugar that caramelizes on top it's really just absolutely fabulous it's sweet it's tart and it's what you want during the new year so, that sounds delicious strongly I, recommend.
0: i'm gonna have i will put the recipe in the show notes and hopefully make it myself well, either way if you may, if you're making no. you should send the photo and i'll post it on our instagram
1: yeah i will well it's not a, i don't always make the prettiest ones but i will send you pictures
0: It <laughs> <laughs> still will be delicious i'm sure um, yes.
1: Not fermented, but delicious.
0: Not not fermented. I have gotten plums a few times at the grocery store recently, though. they're so good. These
1: are slightly different than standard plums. You can use basically any stone fruit for this recipe. I've seen all sorts of variations. But the original is really, really
0: good. Yeah. I've used, or I should say, both plums and figs because I made simis, which is not necessarily a Rosh Hashanah food, but I made simis for a potluck Shabbat um, that I went to last weekend.
1: Very nice. Simis it was are, really fun. Simmas can be really good. And I yeah. I feel like it does fall into the whole like category of Rosh Hashanah foods because we really lean very heavily on on sweet foods, whether it be I mean, a lot of just naturally sweet foods yeah. and I mean, we make sweet desserts to go along with things. Simmus is a lot yeah. of naturally sweet foods that we're just piling on there together.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like in mine, in addition to kind of the standard stuff, I included uh, some figs because they were lots good at the grocery store and dried uh, mulberry. Ooh, which was that really sounds very good. good. And a little bit of
1: zatar. skin good. That's well, kind yes. of an interesting addition to it. Wouldn't have thought of I've that done, one. How it come I've up?
0: done zatar carrots before, and they were very good. So adding a little bit of Zatar because there's carrots in it, it was very good. It was a hit. And there was a tiny dot that was incredibly soft.
1: Ooh, perfect. I was trying to come up with a pun that went with, like, hyssop and soft, and and I don't know. I couldn't come up with a good pun for hyssop. So good. Hyssop. Yeah. So soap. good. Nope. Not working. No, it's just no. not working. That no. <laughs> tar is hyssop, by the way. That's, the, that's kind of the reference there. Mm-hmm. For the listeners who aren't familiar with it, it's a Middle Eastern plant and also spice blend that is mm-hmm. uh, based around the za'atar or hyssop plant. Very tasty, would strongly recommend you top your breads with it, <laughs> which brings us to a very good Rosh Hashanah treat, challah. There's a very specific traditional round shape to challah. People have traditional ways of of making this, I can add a method for doing this in the show notes. But you can make these really cute little round ones, and it's just kind of emblematic of uh, the beginning of the new year. That I mean, a lot of things in in Judaism we talk about being cyclical. We're coming up on Simchat Torah, where immediately as soon as you finish reading reading the Torah, you start again because yep. uh, it, the Torah is not something that should end. And we should always be looking at new beginnings.
0: Exactly. And during almost every Jewish holiday, we have foods with tons of symbolism in them. The Seder plate is one of the big ones about everything symbolic there. But I feel like the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah especially, a lot of the foods, the symbolism is what's most important.
1: Yeah. And there's not everybody does this, but there is a tradition of doing a Rosh Hashanah Seder they're very nice basically there's a series of blessings that you walk through the they're called the he zones and basically the, through the series as you say each one you eat a food that's symbolized by that blessing and people have all different things that they'll match up with it there are some that everybody pretty much everybody uses there's one that goes that you should be like the head and not the tail and people have a fish head um or yeah, i've seen fish swedish, swedish fish, fish is, or, uh
0: yeah <laughs> Uh, I think
1: an acceptable substitute is, as your friendly neighborhood vegetarian, there's one that's, you know, you should be, I think it's numerous. Uh, Let me double check this one.
0: Uh, I don't remember. I've never actually done one, but the research I did, a little bit of research I did on them, it seems they actually date back to the Second Temple period, but are more common in the Sephardi and Mizrahi communities than in the Ashkenazi.
1: Yeah. So the pomegranate one is uh, that our merits increase with the seeds of a as the seeds of a pomegranate. I so my family traditionally or not traditionally exactly, but we've always as long as I can remember gone to some family friends for Rosh Hashanah up in I mean mm-hmm. other than recently for covid, yeah. but we always go to these family friends and they are they are mizrahi and they mm-hmm. do the simanim. So last this past year, um, when we were doing it at home, at this point, you know, our tradition has been to do as they do. So we do, even on our own, we do do the sea money. And we, you know, you get your black-eyed peas and your butternut squash. Some people use leeks and just, you know, share some blessings for the year. We also, as it's just a fun thing, we came up with our own. Just blessings for each other, and each got something to symbolize. That well, was just that's a, fun, just sweet. But it's it's just kind of a, a cute way to start the new year, showering each other with blessings. I, I mean, admittedly, the may our, may your enemies be destroyed bits are still in there, but I would still count that as as a very Jewish blessing.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, that that I, that it is.
1: Yeah, but it's I mean... nice.
0: You could also tell them to stay uh, far, uh, far away from us. Yeah. Blessing for the czar.
1: Yeah, I like that one. Uh, This is another tangent, but there was, what Evan is referencing is that at one point, I, I don't, I may not get this exactly right, but a Russian rabbi was asked to make, come up with a blessing for the czar. And the rabbi goes, Sure. May he and his family live a very long and happy, healthy life, very far away from us.
0: That's correct. And it's also paraphrased in Fiddler on the Roof, but the story predates the uh, musical. And there it's, may God bless and keep the Tsar far away from us, is the line from Fiddler.
1: So, I mean, I've seen, obviously, I've seen Fiddler. I am Jewish here. But also, I have read the book that Fiddler is based off of. It's called if you are ever interested in a very interesting but also extremely depressing read like
0: it's a jewish book isn't it
1: yes uh interesting and yet
0: depressing most of our history
1: on another level really it's a very sad book mm-hmm. you don't ex- like you see the show and you're like okay this is gonna be sad no another level
0: well, I, excellent I read. Add,
1: excellent read. Would recommend, but like, prepare yourself to cry. I,
0: I will add it to my list from the uh, library if I can. I'm nope. almost done with Stiff by Mary Roach, so.
1: Ooh, do you like it?
0: It's very How are you good. Reading it now. I'm I'm reading that and I'm listening to a book on hockey or on Eric Molson. So it's uh, Back to Beer and Hockey is the title of the book.
1: I mean. It's it's pretty topical for us.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's not yet NHL season, so not yet. But it's coming. Who's ready
1: for those Seattle Kraken? I'm excited to see them.
0: It'll be interesting.
1: See them get. I'm so sad.
0: I don't want to say Uh, the name. I wanted them to be on this podcast, but the name I wanted them to be was uh, not so polite.
1: Oh, I really I like the Kraken. I was hoping Kraken was my second favorite name.
0: My first favorite name is something the NHL I would have never done, but people made fake merchandise for it before the team was named.
1: Oh, I think I saw this.
0: The the Rain City um yes. pigeons.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yes, that's yes. my favorite name.
1: It was excellent.
0: I tried getting my a friend of mine who lives in Seattle to buy a shirt, he did. Um
1: Yeah. That was great.
0: Uh so good. But so so, that, that, back
1: to Rosh Hashanah.
0: Back to Rosh Hashanah, because this is going to be a tangent-filled episode.
1: Oh yeah, event- we're good at that.
0: We're we're good at that, and eventually we'll do a tangent-only episode. I'll say I'll just keep saving them.
1: Yeah, we've got some some that have been. We've actually had a bunch that have been cut from the episodes. So at some point, you guys are going to get an episode of just complete non sequiturs.
0: Am <laughs> not even going to put transitions between them. Nope. You want 10 minutes on the Treaty of Versailles?
1: We got 10 minutes on the Treaty of Versailles. <laughs>
0: um, but So back to Rosh Hashanah. Back to Rosh Hashanah. Um, and we'll tangent more after recording. <laughs> but back to Rosh Hashanah, a lot of the traditional foods and fruits that we eat are fermentable because they're fruit. They fruit are traditionally...
1: Year. A lot of them are traditionally eaten fresh. We, are, we do go for a lot of fresh fruits, new fruits, but... Yeah. If you've got leftovers, it, we have ideas.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they're eaten fresh because this is the season for most of them. It's so you harvest don't need to preserve season. them. They're fresh. It's harvest season. Sukkot is the harvest festival. So yeah. we'll hopefully talk a lot about that, about what you can do with your leftover Sukkot. Um, Actually,
1: what I really think we should talk about at some point when we get to Sukkot. So in two weeks, expect me to bring this up multiple times. Etrogs. Etrogim are traditionally yeah. a lot of people. Ferment them.
0: Yeah, that, I, have I already have that. I already have that penciled down. Yeah,
1: I've had good ones and bad ones. Same. And I've had very, very interesting ones. We'll Same. get to that another time. Uh, now.
0: We'll get to that another time. But the traditional fruits, especially amongst the Ashkenazi, though it's now much more widespread, mostly because Ashkenazi are most Jews uh, are apples and honey.
1: That's not true. Most Jews
0: most, in, the States. in America. In, yeah. I think I think in total, the Ashkenazi community is still the largest. Is it the plurality?
1: The Mizrahi community is really big. I the think Mizrahi, they, The
0: Mizrahi community is the majority of Israelis.
1: Yeah. But I think they get overlooked a lot outside of Israel. That, that is true. Outside and, of Israel.
0: and I at least hope that in this podcast we're not doing that.
1: Yeah. Again, we are both Ashkenazi Jews. So our familiarity with some uh, Sephardic and Mizrahi traditions are, I mean not at the same level but if anybody would like to come and talk about them we would really love to learn more I mean I have friends and I have there are traditions that I'm familiar with and traditions that I'm just not and given that we are not authorities on the subject we're always happy to have somebody more knowledgeable than us we're fairly
0: authorities on anything
1: (laughs) we're not authorities on anything
0: (laughs) But so apples and honey.
1: We're on making tangents or yes, going that on that tangents. is true. I'm very good at that.
0: But apples and honey are both fermentable. Obviously, we've talked a lot about both ciders and meads. Yes. Uh, and so every year, one thing I do normally, I do it shortly after Rosh Hashanah because that's when everything is best in season. Is I make a cider, which is a mix of apple cider, <laughs> which is a mix of apple cider and mead. Basically, you take cider unfermented cider and you add honey and ferment it and right. you can do it in any sort of style that you do either of them you can use any sort of yeast i've had some various results in my last two batches one of which was dry and not i wasn't aiming for it to be carbonated but it was dry and it was very good a lot of complex flavor i first was introduced to cider when i saw a bottle of it in the liquor store and ah. it was the worst meat i ever had it had no flavor. like cider should have a lot of flavor cuz you also have apple you're introducing more flavor components right yeah and there was so, no flavor of anything
1: so i've heard and i wh- one of my favorite things about home brewing is that mm-hmm. you have the opportunity to make things that you're never going to find in stores and i've heard from a lot of people as i mentioned to them what i do i mean for fun when i mention home brewing to them is they say, oh, mead, I've I've tried that at a Ren fair. And that seems to be where most people have had mead before. They don't buy it in stores or anything, but people have tasted mead at a Renaissance fair. And yeah. what you're gonna get there, I mean, you're getting a mass produced or a large ish produced item and it's not going to have, you know, it's not going to be targeted to you or you're not going to be able to find something. As targeted as A, if you're brewing something, or B, if you're drinking a more readily available product. Like you can find a beer or a cider that is gonna be pretty well tailored to you because or a whiskey, just because I mean there's a big market for them. But if you wanna try, there are meads that are very sweet and a lot of people don't like that. Yeah. I'm currently brewing a batch of mead for a coworker who just had a baby who said that she tried mead at a a Ren fair and it seemed nice, but it was way too sweet for her. So I'm hoping to get this as dry as possible. It's loaded up with flavors that should distract from any residual sweetness. Mm -hmm. And you can really tailor something to exactly what your taste is. And I mean, it may not come out exactly the way you want it to. But, you know, you're the target audience instead of being something that's going to be uh, kind of a, a novel to a mass market.
0: No, exactly. And, I mean, beer especially, there's tons of craft breweries. So part of why I have less – I do want to try doing beer. But part of why I don't really do it is that there's so many varieties of it and so many interesting takes on it available commercially. Uh, cider, less so. Mead, even less. Uh, but
1: Where are you going to buy a kvass?
0: Yeah, kvat, uh, uh a k- a kvike? Is that what you? Mean? Uh, the Norwegian, Scandinavian, no. Alias? I'm a-
1: thinking a k- of
0: kava. Kavas. So you're thinking of the rush You're thinking of the Russian? A- did um, I
1: pronounce it wrong? That's no, k-
0: kava, kavas is right. No, that's right. I've had it.
1: Yeah, it's it, like it is. If you
0: very low alcohol, sort of soda. <laughs>
1: Kvass is something that I've been meaning to try and make, but I'm going to need to get a second something to brew it in. Just for, for people's knowledge, kvass is made from fermented bread, traditionally rye. I would probably do it with something else, maybe for starters, like a sourdough. That'd be good. Yeah, but it is, it's basically fermented bread water. But like, if you're going for something that's more arcane, I guess would be a good word.
0: Yeah,
1: or something that's really unusual, like people. Uh, you can maybe find a kvike.
0: Yeah, I, did that, I say that right? Yeah, you can find some kvike uh, mead, some kvike ciders on the market. I've seen, but very few. It's very popular in home brewing, though, both beer and mead.
1: Yeah, but like if you pick something that you've heard of in like some history book somewhere, you can you can try it. Like there's nothing yeah. stopping you. And that's oh, yeah. that's what's cool.
0: We we use recipes that are hundreds, if not thousands, of years old sometimes. It's fun.
1: I did use a recipe that was yeah. hundreds of years old. Admittedly I did do some variations on it. I did make a little bit of variation, but the the lemon uh, the lemon rosemary mead that I made a while ago was based off of a recipe that's several hundred years old. Yeah. It used I mean, the same ratios and everything. And I mean, I guess my measurements were a little bit different, but it's still valid.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and thing, things change, but you, you're you always getting your stuff. And that's part of why we love homebrew and you're talking about it and getting people to try these things. One of the ones, as I said, I've seen a single bottle of it commercially available is Sizer, and it was not very good. And I've made one that had a lot of apple flavor. It was very dry, a little bit of honey notes, especially in the aftertaste it was my first batch. Second batch, I was trying to do it carbonated, like champagne style, because I thought that'd be a fun se- champagne, very celebratory. I thought that'd be a fun thing for Rosh Hashanah. It came out very sweet. There's a bottle on it to, uh, on its way to you, though, Allison.
1: Yes, very excited. And so it's still, stop. but it's still,
0: still got a lot of apple flavor and some of the honey and a lot of, and it's got a lot of more sweetness than I wanted. But I got to try it. And this year, I'm not exactly sure what I'm, what my take on it's going to be. But I'm going to try something new to make another sizer.
1: It's just going to be awesome. Yeah. It's just, it's that's the excitement. Or, I've mentioned this before, but uh, Scuppernong season is coming up in North Carolina, so I am going to be attempting to make Scuppernong wine at some point if I can get my hands on enough grapes and juice. That's kind of going to yeah, be the biggest that's, problem. That's part but of why I don't do Perry. Yeah, where are you going to find Scuppernong? I mean, actually it is, it is something that you can buy, uh, but not easily. <laughs>
0: no, and in- exactly uh, but so my sizer recipe was six gallons of cider and 10 pounds of honey
1: that's that's a lot
0: made more than six costco gallons is. of sizer that's what yep. Costco's for and I, is when what i use cost
1: costco,
0: when i did costco honey i make all my recipes use an increment of five pounds of honey because costco sells honey in five pound increments
1: yep so you learn how to work with these things you got your leftover yeah. honey from Rosh Hashanah, we have a thing for you.
0: Exactly. Another thing that is common, that is fermentable that you have a little bit of experience fermenting. Pomegranates. Uh, pomegranates.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's been hit and miss, as, <laughs> as uh, I've mentioned before. But if you want to go for pomegranates and honey, it really does make a fantastic mead. And it is something I've only got. Well, I've got one bottle left. Um, that actually, I I don't really know if I've got one bottle left exactly. I gave my parents one bottle, and they haven't really touched it yet, and I'll be there for Rosh Hashanah. (laughs) Uh, So, but I've got only a little bit left. But if you're going to do it now, I mean, it's really a beverage that I would say is perfect for a cold winter's day. And Mm -hmm. if you have a batch of pomegranate mead, You've got a whole load of pomegranates and pomegranate juice post Rosh Hashanah. Brew yourself a batch of mead, and then when it when the snow starts falling, heat it up and drink it like mulled wine.
0: I, Ooh, it's sounds really, really
1: fantastic. I mean, it's. I think I've made some really nice meads, and so far, uh, and I I've said that I need one, to make
0: that multiple times, and I'm still going to say it again. I need to make that, cause if, especially in a cold here.
1: place. You're going, that hail... it's good. It's really yeah. good.
0: It, it it gets pretty cold here. With, yeah. With, ski lifts.
1: <laughs> it warms the cockles of your heart.
0: That is very good to know.
1: It just, it, some some brews just really, like, hits the spot in certain ways. The lemon rosemary mead is what you want to drink on a hot summer day. And that mm-hmm. batch was, was what you want on a cold winter day. So, Taylor, when you make to your seasons, I mean, pick what's seasonal and try and time things, knowing that it's not always going to work out, (laughs) as I look at the batch of meat in my closet now. but
0: Exactly. One of the things, is especially because this is alcohol, or with brewing, it's alcohol, it keeps for a while. (laughs) It's alive, but it also keeps for a while, so that if you miss this season, put it away in a cool, dark place and... Open it up next year.
1: Yeah. It might even be better. Depends what it is, there, but it might be depends better.
0: Depends on what, what it is. It very well could be better.
1: Yeah. It's a lesson uh, I've had to learn. But
0: yeah sometimes pa- patience is a virtue with fermentation.
1: Oh, but this lemon ginger has been sitting in my <laughs> closet for so long.
0: It'll get there. Um, the last thing Rosh Hashanah related with our show notes, and I don't know why Kavas kind of reminded me of this as well. Tashlidh is a fun tradition where you're throwing yeah. bread, which of course is fermented into the into the river.
1: I've heard this more and more from people. People are ter- are moving away from doing a traditional tashlidh, or a lot of people are, because something that I feel like is important for everybody to be aware of, but bread is not good for birds. It is not good for them to be eating. So we do this every year, and it's, I mean, people feed birds in the park all the time, and... As as a birder, mm-hmm. it, it's just not good for them. It, yeah, I. So I've heard more and more people just like moving away from actually throwing the bread into the water and more just having bread around or just saying the blessing by the water.
0: Interesting. I did. Um, I did not know that. Yes. I mean, I knew bread was bad for birds, but
1: so don't feed bread to the birds, folks.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you want to, if you wanted to stick with fermented, you should pour beer. Yes, if you really want. It will dissipate uh, faster.
1: Yes, it will dissipate faster. Yeah. Just put it in your oh. compost or something like that, guys.
0: Yeah. Do you Process, have anything else it's not Rosh
1: Anything Rosh Hashanah related? Yeah. Well, I've given you guys my favorite recipe. We've given some ideas for things to make for Rosh Hashanah. I have bemoaned the fact that I was told not to have alcohol prior to my colonoscopy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. What else is there? Oh, I did have something tasty right before, right before I stopped eating all sorts of things. I had a very tasty watermelon and lime and and vodka drink, which is something that I just kind of recommend people enjoy the last few days of summer and Labor Day with. Um, Labor Day Rosh Hashanah. Yes, Labor Day Rosh Hashanah. Also a reminder that Labor Day is to celebrate all of the labor rights that unions have given us. The fact that, like, what our work day looks like, you know, having bathroom breaks, The most basic things, like there is so much that labor unions and labor activism has given us. And it's really something that, I mean, I know we're celebrating or we're having a day off and it's the end of summer, but it is um, good to acknowledge that there is a reason for Labor Day and Mm -hmm. that the people who advocated for labor rights are really, is something to be celebrated and something to be respected. Think about OSHA, <laughs> health and safety, all of that. It's written in blood. Like, li- I mean, maybe that's a little bit of a downer to say, but
0: it, it is, and it is. I mean, as as important exactly as it. Memorial and Veterans Day are as well, it is a separate holiday. It is not having to do with either of those two, which are also separate from each other. Yeah. They are. Some people I know like to conflate the three together,
1: but they're not. They serve. They have very different historical reasons, and as as Labor Day is coming, I think it's important to recognize, I guess, unions, yeah. labor no. rights. Even if the, you're the... annoyed by OSHA regulations, just remember, there's a yeah. reason people have, have lived and died for those rules.
0: There's a big have... reason regulations in OSHA, medical advice industry has a ton of regulations yeah. as well. There are reasons these things exist.
1: Yes, so, in honor of this Labor Day, I am grateful for all of those labor activists I am, and advocates. I'm really, really grateful to um, the of the So, on a uh,
0: slightly more upbeat note, though. Yes. Bring <laughs> uh, Bring some homebrew. But also, a few episodes ago, we asked people to give us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever they listen. And we actually have one. Whoa. That came out before we asked for them, <laughs> but we have one. Uh, Hello this there. This is from On Apple Podcasts. I believe it would be pronounced Danimal ZX. Five stars. Take it. This nerdy podcast is fun for all listeners, especially those who are beginning brewers themselves or those who love to drink fermented beverages. Full of interesting fun facts and side notes, you can learn a lot while hearing about the host's successes and failures in their home brewing adventures. I especially appreciate that both hosts have a science background so that you can learn some technical facts about brewing, although they don't hit you over the head with too many equations. We'll enjoy listening to each episode. So thank you very much for that, uh, kind review. Yeah,
1: much appreciated. And as very always, nice. feel free to shoot us a message. If there's anything you want us to talk about more, if you want more recipes, really more recipes, we're any for...
0: questions we we' hope we've, we're hoping after the high holidays, we're brainstorming a few episodes in a series or two. that should be pretty fun. If we can uh, pull them off.
1: Yep. We hope you guys enjoy.
0: Yeah, We hope you all enjoy. And, uh, with that, I think we can say again, uh, Chag Sameach, Shavuot Tov chag to everybody. Sameach, Shana, tova. shana tova. I
1: guess it's a wow. little easy for, early for the uh, Gemara Chatimah Khatimatova, though I'm never really sure when that starts. People just she kind of start about saying when Rosh Hashanah it.
0: starts about, about once Rosh Hashanah actually starts, or when you leave services. Well,
1: <laughs> yes. Well, here's a preemptive Gemara Khatimatova to those of you who also like me going to be sitting through a lot of zoom services i hope you have a meaningful and special holiday i would agree or as well many holidays it's, it's difficult uh, and uh it's another year of it but i wish everybody all the best and i hope you find meaning and and beauty and love in yeah. however you celebrate rosh hashanah this year
0: I, I would fully agree. And with uh, that, happy fermenting, everybody, <laughs> as well. Happy
1: fermenting, folks.
0: Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Shebrews Hebrews, a Jewish fermenting podcast brought to you by myself, Evan Harris, and Allison Shea. This podcast was edited by Evan Harris and is produced by Evan Harris and Allison Shea. As always, you can find the podcast along with our show notes and full podcast transcripts uh, on our website, as well as you can find the podcast on Instagram at Jewish Fermentation Podcast. Please remember to drink responsibly and thank you for listening.